Thomas and Frederick. With Thomas and Frederick. With Thomas and Frederick. Gather around, you gobble girls and gobble boys. <laughs> this is Stay in the Franchise, where we examine franchise of all shapes, sizes, and types. I am your co-host, Fred Dakin. I'm here with Tom Stadler. Tom, how you doing? Fred, I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, can't complain. Can't complain. I, you know, I got my ulcer, but what are you going to do about it? Yeah, you know, this, uh, you just got to eat a little bit less of that uh, acidic stuff that you got, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. You try to tell me that, but I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Lay off your lemons, Fred. Lay off your lemons. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, what am I going to do? It's going to be very difficult to break <laughs> the, the, the Italian mobster accent or whatever it is, the voice yeah. today. I say it comes and goes for me. I told you guys earlier. It really hits me when I play Monopoly for some reason. <laughs> Are you just channeling Boardwalk Empire? Yeah, there? like anytime I'm trying to like make deals, like under the table deals, you know, you I'm do like the, do the Buscemi. Well, mm. How do you even do a Steve Buscemi? <laughs> He's just like really kind of like high and like yeah, it's like that, but a little more tired somehow. You have to be like that high pitch and like a little exhausted. I yeah, feel. <laughs> that's actually a good idea. Like uh, yeah, yeah. How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I tried. Well, I guess we should just introduce our topic this week, Fred, because we have a very, very exciting one for a lot of people. We're, of course, talking about HBO's, I mean, maybe their best series ever that they've yeah. done. Uh, the okay. Wire, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. Maybe I am from Baltimore, my guy. Ooh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's my city. It's my home, okay? Yeah. Oh, that's a Baltimore accent. It's a Baltimore right accent. You don't like my Baltimore accent? Why is it like... Penny. It almost sounds like some part of like the UK, like Welsh. Have you ever been to like Pittsburgh or something like that? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, no, well, yeah. No, sorry. But uh, we are, of course, talking about The Sopranos. And uh, here to talk to us today about The Sopranos is a aficionado of his own, Mr. Chris Good. Mm, uh, some say I'm one in a million. You gotta burn to shine. <laughs> Born under a bad side with a blue moon in my eye. Oh, okay, so um, yeah, I, I'm Chris Christopher Good. Um, Sorry, Christopher. Uh, yeah, whatever you like. Um, I mean, but if you call me Chris, you have to call me Christopher. Yeah, I'm gonna call throughout you Christopher. 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 Yeah, uh, throughout the episode probably would be. I mean, uh, and not that I want to be, you know, known uh, as someone who is similar to Christopher Moltisanti because uh, not a great role model, uh, but a fascinating character. But, but you two have a lot in common because you have spent time treading the boards, much like Christopher Moltisanti has. <laughs> I first saw Chris Good on stage in a production okay. of Dracula. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did do a different voice for that one. I couldn't do my, you know, New York, New Jersey uh, voice. Uh, I also happened to see you in that show. Oh, yeah. So. Thank you. Thank I am you guys. aware, well familiar with the, the English accent you were doing Thank that you. day. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite shows that I've done recently. Yeah. It was a great show, and mm-hmm. you carried it on your shoulders. Ah, uh, get out of here, this guy. Get out of here. This guy, get out of here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's two different characters from Dracula, but I feel like you were doing, like, the Nicholas Holt Renfield before Renfield. Oh, Just yeah. saying. I was maybe, you know, some sort of energy there because that hadn't even mm. come out. Yeah, maybe, I actually haven't seen it yet. Maybe Nicholas Holt was in the back taking yeah. notes. <laughs> Look at this gentleman go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I won't sidetrack anymore yeah, that's for now. Right. Of course, we're here We're here to talk about The Soprano, something that took place over 100 years, 150 after Dracula. I don't know when Dracula actually <laughs> takes place. But... Um, this is pretty close, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think The Sopranos is not that that old, though. I think when you think about it, a lot of people will be like, oh, my gosh, it's been 20 years since The Sopranos premiered, or yeah. 23 years. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's only been 23 years since it premiered. That's not a long time. It, it kind of is and it isn't, I think, because, like, yes, relatively, that's not long that long of a time, but... Like, it was, for a lot of people, sort of the dawn of what we see now as, like, prestige TV. Yes. You know, it was like, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, like, you didn't have, you couldn't binge watch, like, you know, cinematic quality television. Right. The way that, you, you know, the way that we do now with stuff like, you know, Succession or, you know, I don't know, Game of Thrones or, right. or Breaking Bad. You know, it was before all of that stuff. It was, it was pretty, I think more or less the, one of the first ones along with Arliss. the wire come on where's the Arliss love obviously Arliss yeah yeah the, um, the most important one of that part. <laughs> yeah so it was like you know uh, a lot has changed uh since since it came on yeah it has and i think you're absolutely right like there are so many shows that took a beat from it i would love to talk a little bit about that later in the episode where like breaking bad we don't have breaking bad without that we don't have Mad Men. they bring mm-hmm. up like following an anti-hero and caring about this person who yeah. is kind of a despicable person you know and that was my biggest tell to you like before we even talked about doing an episode trying to get you to watch it after i watched it was like this is like the rosetta stone of television today yeah and it really is. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm, we'll get to where I'm at in the series, but, uh, you know, it's, you're starting to learn why so many people love the show as I've been mm-hmm. working my way through the show. But what I'm most interested in is hearing about where you guys started. People, two people who have a wealth of experience watching The Sopranos. Yeah. And, uh, Christopher, yeah. would, you, would you like to, to talk to us sure. first about um, where you first encountered so it? So, I, I mean, I, I, I was a kid when the show came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember it, it was huge. It was everywhere. I wasn't allowed to watch it. But um, my dad watched it, and he had the CD of the soundtrack. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but I, It's I, a good soundtrack, it's too. A, it's a great soundtrack. You know, uh, I actually, I on my phone, um, has this nifty feature where it tells you what song is playing without you doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I would go... <laughs> <laughs> go through it um, just, you know, randomly when I was watching the show. And it was like, <laughs> Alabama 3, Alabama 3, Alabama 3, <laughs> Alabama 3. Woke up this morning like 16 times in a row when I was binge watching The Sopranos. But I I didn't watch it um, when it came out. I watched it when I think a lot of people did, which was in 2020, 2021, uh, p- like during peak lockdown hours, mm-hmm. and it was simply because it was such a cultural th- uh, phenomenon that had, you know, influenced so much, so much TV pop culture that I was aware of, but had not actually experienced myself. I, I, I know my brother watched it, my dad watched it, so I watched the whole thing when I had very little to do during lockdown. And just became absolutely enamored with it. And then I watched it again. 
<laughs> and I've been watching it, watching through it. I kind of am always sort of going through it just because there's always so much more to discover. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so yeah, relatively recently I watched The Sopranos for the first time and then, and then many scenes in Newark, which maybe we can talk about, which is kind of a de facto sequel. <laughs> for sure. One of the first movies I went to back in theaters. Mm-hmm. And probably what makes this a franchise, really, is the fact that there is a movie now mm-hmm. that partners with the series, because now there are... But, I mean, <laughs> we'll get into all the different pieces that go into Sopranos. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely in addition to the story, so we should cover it. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. No, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was just more going along the lines that uh, oh, I remember I was going to say The Sopranos is like your office. Because isn't that like everyone's like, oh, I'm always having the office. I'm always going exactly. through that. Yeah. I'm always going through The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that for Breaking Bad for a lot of people. Like that is their show that they just are consistently going through. Wow. I don't know if I could just go back and watch Breaking Bad over and over. See, I don't think I could either. I don't think I could with almost anything. But whenever I watch an episode of the, of the Sopranos, except for maybe a couple of them, every time I'm just, like, glued to it. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most watchable prestige shows compared to, like, all prestige shows. Like I said earlier, The Wire, just because of everything around it, what it's actually getting into, I may put it above Sopranos, but The Wire has some, like, dead boring episodes. The Sopranos, like... Is super watchable. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, even though I hate the comparison to like Goodfellas, and I think that hurts it a lot. It does have that unique watchability of a Goodfellas. It also has a giant amount of the cast. <laughs> that that too. Between Goodfellas and the Sopranos. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And there's so much crossover with. So mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> these guys who play these Italian mobsters have no shortage of <laughs> roles that they can start filling right. in, right? Left and right. To the point where it's it's kind of weird um, because they reference Goodfellas throughout the series, throughout yeah. the Sopranos. And, like, for example, Michael Imperioli is is in it, uh, Lorraine Bracco is in it, you know, and it's, it always, I always do that meta thing where it's like, okay, so in this world, Goodfellas exist, but who plays Spider in Goodfellas? Because that Michael Imperioli looks, it looks just like the guy he's yeah. Christopher, looks just like him. And who is that kid in Avatar 2? <laughs> if Edie Falco is in the room with the bad guy. Because yeah. there's, there's a spider in there. And movie. Um, I, uh, <laughs> probably my, my favorite reference is um, Frankie Valley, who, who uh, you know, Frankie Valley from the. Yes. You know, from like, you know, Frankie Valley. Four Seasons. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Four Seasons, Jersey Boys, uh, who they reference early in the series. And then Frankie Valley himself later plays a character in The Sopranos. <laughs> And so I was always like, wait, is anyone going to say, wow, Rusty looks just like Frankie Valli or whatever? (laughs) You know, it just that thing sort of thing always I always enjoy it. It's funny because it makes me think of like in uh, I don't know if you guys watch Scrubs ever, but I did. There's, I have not watched There's, like, one episode where they, like, canonize the fact that, like, the janitor who has, like, one scene in uh, The Fugitive. And he's like a cop on the train, and he's like pointing at Harrison Ford, and like he's like pointing his gun at him. He's like Kimball, and like, and there's like a whole bit in this episode about where like uh, Zach Braff's character like sees him in this movie, and he's like, "Is that the janitor?" And it's like it's just funny that they're like canonizing <laughs> the fact that like he is not the actor playing this character; <laughs> he is the the character in the show playing that that other character. Yeah. We don't do episodes really about like individual movies. We try to have like a theme or category. 
I would do a Fugitive episode on top of that. I think that movie is so good. It is a great. Well, you could do that with U.S. Marshals because that's technically a sequel. Just doesn't have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Love me some U.S. Marshals. I actually never seen it. I just heard it's disappointing because it's it's not the same. Yeah, I think they just kind of like we're like here's Wesley Snipes. Let's make a movie. But (laughs) Fred, where did you get started with The Sopranos? Uh, very similarly, but a few years before, I was working a job where, like, the second half of my job, I had to be in an office for uh, people who were trying to find jobs. I was helping them with resumes, getting them in touch with employers that we had connections with. But a lot of my time for, like, 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock, I was in my own room with a TV where the back was to the door so no one could see what I was watching. Oh, man. Nice. And I just blew through Sopranos <laughs> at that job, and it was the best getting paid to watch. Watch Sopranos. Well That's done. awesome. Mm-hmm. Like every once in a while, someone would come in. I just have to put up a finger. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just a minute. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I got to see what happens after this uh, this psychiatric session. <laughs> That's pretty crazy, though. So, when did you say? How long ago was that? So that was like 2018, 2019. I did attempt to watch it a few times. I think I remember watching like the pilot and thinking like, oh yeah, I know what this show is, which is a thing i do all the time and a lot of times i'm not right and usually i should pursue but when i finally got into it uh very much like chris i was in it and i was trying to get like anyone who hadn't seen it to watch it because i was like it's just here and like people like i think have preconceived notions of what what the sopranos was because it was kind of everywhere you went back in the day i remember Mm -hmm. being young and seeing the posters and like oh that's that gangster show yeah and like i think everyone who doesn't watch that show is just like oh that's that gangster show yeah and then you watch it and you're like oh yeah it's a gangster show but it's got like great characters it says a lot about like you know people of that class and like people of that area like there is so much east coastness in that show that even me living in maryland i can just connect with these characters because it's not all not everyone's like a goodfellas character right it's a lot of like people who've lived in america for generations and are just east coasters but have kind of that italian you know heritage yeah and i think that's very interesting too that you connect with it because again you talked about the wire taking place in baltimore you think that maybe that would be something you connect more with but mm-hmm. it really does feel like it culminates like between the, all the times they go to New York New Jersey and like back and forth and you really get a sense for like it's not a small world that they're living in right they're living in a bigger world like than I mean even if it's just the greater New York metropolitan area and surrounding you know Jersey Turnpike and all that so mm-hmm. and it's a world that you could feel like exists within your own world it does not feel like imagined like you feel like you could go to these places i'm suspicious of every sanitation facility <laughs> <laughs> i'm like we're recording down the road from uh the sanitation facility in milwaukee and i want to know who, who runs that place yeah I, I mean i my day job i work for waste management and usually when i bring that up to people i, I like i don't know about like a quarter of the time 20 percent of the time someone makes a mobster joke yeah didn't Did i really tell you this guest was a gift? yeah yeah that's <laughs> hilarious no way <laughs> I told you this guest was a git. So I see why you got the Sopranos. Uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I actually know somebody like that guy. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good, though. But yeah, I mean, 
what do you guys think is the reason? I mean, you kind of talked about the prestige TV of it all and like that. It's kind of this template for a lot of shows that came after it. And we have, you know, a lot of things that call back to the Sopranos. I think, you know, anybody who tries to make a mob related show now is trying to dodge around. Like you were talking about the Goodfellas or Godfather or now Sopranos. It's like, can you even make an original piece of fiction? So why is it people revisit the Sopranos over something more like the Godfather or Goodfellas where it's like, this is this great movie. I, I have my theories on it, Fred. I'm not sure. Oh, no, I want you to jump in. Okay. Um, so a lot of people, I, I think relatively recently have been asking the questions, what makes the Sopranos so special? Yeah. And why is it special? Why, why are we still talking about it, speculating about it 20 plus years later? Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, I, drawing a lot from personal experience, I think that it's because when the Sopranos came out, it was popular for all sorts of reasons. It was entertaining. It was engaging. People got invested in the characters. It was this sort of, you know, uh, story that everyone w was sort of watching at the same time. I compare it to, it's nothing like Game of Thrones, but I compare it to like the, the collective enthusiasm, Game of Thrones style or succession now, uh, that everyone was sort of engaged at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think that when it was on the point of it, which is very complex, was largely missed. And, uh, you know, David Chase, the creator of, of The Sopranos, I think was was ahead of his time in in more or less what he was trying to say with mm -hmm. the series. And I, I credit that to uh, honestly, I, the, the, the general cultural uh, public awareness of what uh, in contemporary parlance, we refer to as toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, uh, you know, during, during Me Too, during this, this, more, this sort of um, public awareness renaissance, you, you look at The Sopranos and you see toxic masculinity sort of distilled to its purest and most violent and most what we might call problematic form, mm -hmm. uh, you know, times a thousand and the uh, tragic and destructive uh, events that result from, uh, you know, practicing this mm -hmm. uh, out loud. Um, you know, there are there are folks who, you know, I, it's always funny meeting a Sopranos fan because I, I remember one time I I used to do tours. Um, uh, very briefly, I did tours um, mm -hmm. around around Milwaukee, and there was a guy with a Soprano shirt, and I was like, I don't know if he's going to be great or if he's going to be an asshole, and he was a total asshole. Oh yeah, <laughs> and um, you know, I think that there is this at the time and now this sort of uh, idolizing Tony Soprano is is the opposite of what the point of the show is. I think, and yeah. nonetheless. You have, uh, you know, a lot of the folks who watched it at the time, especially, you know, just they want to be Tony Soprano. They yeah. want to have this. I mean, well, to a certain extent, it's like, well, who wouldn't? You have massive amounts of power, respect. People do things for you. You get away with anything. You sleep with beautiful women. You know, you, you're, you're really, you know, you have everything that your hedonistic heart could possibly desire but uh you know in in practice and throughout the show and especially at the end of the show you see just how tragic 
the results will be of, uh, you know, sort of engaging in unfettered toxic masculinity. And I, I think that, uh, you know, today uh, people are able to to understand that from the episodes and from, you know, how the characters' lives uh, progress, how they end, um, everything like that. So, um, yeah, you don't want to be, I mean, you don't, I think the point is you don't want to be Tony Soprano. Mm -hmm. And to your point about bad fans, I feel like sometimes I'll try to like join like those Facebook fan pages of like things I like, got to stay away from those Sopranos ones. Awful people in those. Yeah. Like, I I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of like, um, if you were to draw a contemporary parallel, um, uh, succession, you know, I, I'd seen videos and things of guys talking about how awesome Logan Roy is. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to think he's awesome. Like, you know, are you paying attention at all? I mean, yes, it's entertaining to a certain extent to watch him, you know, figuratively beat people up and whatever. But it's like, oh, my God, just missing the point entirely, which I, and, you know, and I'm not necessarily trying to insult anyone's intelligence, but I credit the collective emotional maturity of the of the tv viewing public to uh why the sopranos is uh, has such staying power yeah no and i think you actually hit on a great point i have heard a great term recently for what that is and it's like i mean it's more in reference to comedy but it's laughing with blood in your mouth like it's like you're laughing at the joke but you're not laughing at why the joke is funny. Like, like the Chappelle thing. Yes, exactly. That was exactly what I was going to get to is that the reason he like snapped is because he heard somebody laughing at a joke that he made. And he said, you could just tell they weren't laughing because they knew that the person in the sketch was being an idiot and making a racist comment. They were laughing because they think that someone saying the N word was funny. Mm-hmm. Like that. And like, that's like that's the opposite of what he's after. And I think that's such an interesting way to consume the Sopranos, especially Mm -hmm. now I'm like, I'm watching it and I'm like, Oh, I get the lens that David Chase is trying to give us with Tony. He's not a good dude. He's a bigot. He's a uh, womanizer. It's just like, he's everything Mm -hmm. that's bad. And then it's a delicate dance to make him even like, sympathetic yeah because i will say the flip side of this not really the flip side just kind of another look at it that the show does for me why i like it is i have certain things and not necessarily the bad things that i relate to to these characters in my own life and seeing those things with characters who have these things going on in their lives Mm -hmm. is kind of it really makes you question like what you're thinking about in your life especially i have my quote page here Uh, (laughs) let me pull it out oh it's right over here so there's a quote that's like tony says in the season that i just like totally vibed with was I have to be the sad clown laughing on the outside crying on the inside and I feel as improvisers and performers like that's a line that like I'm like yeah or just even like I've had health stuff recently and I'm always been like the happy fun guy and it's like oh you're supposed to be this guy and then when I see someone who's Tony Soprano has that kind of thing going on and then like you said the violence and bigotry it's like this intense conflicted feeling like oh I'm like sympathizing with this character because I have these problems but then he does something bad and I'm like that's not my friend he's a bad guy Yeah, which the show has that 
pull and tear because he's also charismatic and there's scenes where he looks like a good hang i'm sorry he does but then he does something you're like oh fuck no never mind right never mind (laughs) you know and i think that's kind of the seduction of the life coming through the show and actually hitting you over the head 100 and i was even going to say that kind of is why i think i stayed away from sopranos for so long because when i was growing up with sopranos i mean my parents watched it i mean they were fans they knew it was a good show but i never really got a sense for like what the show was but when i would talk to other people who were younger and watching the show they made it sound like it was cool and it was like glorifying being like a mobster and you know like oh yeah you know you just throw your money around like crime is cool and and i was like is that really the show for me and i'm like yeah. i don't know I, uh, part of the reason why i delayed watching i remember i was, was i had finished watching breaking bad this was many years ago mm-hmm. and my spouse at the time was like do you want to watch the sopranos and i was like eh, nah <laughs> you know, because I was like, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I want to see stuff that's all about like crime and people getting killed, and you know, that's not cool. I'm not right. into that. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I misunderstood at the time that uh, you know what what the show really was and and how great it was, and I. You know, I, I do think that it's it's one of the best TV shows of all time. Yeah, and I think when you do dive into exactly the lens you set us up with, Chris, is exactly mm-hmm. why the show has the staying power. Because I think now there were maybe even people who were like, "Oh man, what a what an interesting character Tony is." That are now probably revisiting it mm-hmm. and seeing like what a damaged person this person is. Yeah. Maybe with the context of seeing what happened with somebody like a Walter White or Don Draper, and like it's yeah. like their lives are not great by the end of it. Well, yeah, these, these are not happy men. Right. That's funny that you said that about growing up and hearing those from like other kids about the show. Mm-hmm. That was my experience in middle school with the Chappelle show in Atlanta, Georgia, was hearing all these like white kids talk about the show and the things that they were laughing at. I was like, I don't think I want to watch this show. And then I watched it in college. I was like, oh, this show's kind of brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> these guys were just bigots. I mean, I wish that Chappelle would change some of his comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, but otherwise, I mean, he was ahead of the game, too, in what he was doing on that. But And I don't give him, even though it was the Chappelle show, I don't give him full credit for that show. I feel no. that other guy, I can't think of his name right now. Is but, yeah, the guy who co-produced it, right? Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, Neil Brennan? That might be I right. feel he's wrote a lot of great sketches. So did Nick Kroll wrote a lot of good sketches for that show. Kroll was, Kroll on, was on the writing well, sketch. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And Kroll has my favorite ske- modern sketch show, I will say. I loved Kroll's show. I haven't watched any of it. Ooh. Since since we're talking about this guy's like stuff that came out of nowhere, they were like, oh, I didn't know that was in that. Um, I wanted to I wanted to maybe throw a little quiz by you. Oh, see, please do. Um, you know, uh, if you remember... Or if you can guess which of these three current very famous celebrities were in The Sopranos, that's had roles, small roles in The Sopranos. Um, so the first one is Paul Dano, who plays Riddler in, in Batman. Yeah. And then uh, let me see, Lin Manuel Miranda, and uh, Lady Gaga. Which one was in The Sopranos? I'm not going to answer because I know the answer. <laughs> I would guess, based on what you gave me there. I mean, this feels like such an obvious thing. Lady Gaga? Well, um, you were partially correct because the answer is all of them. Whoa. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it's it's fascinating to watch. Lady, both Lady Gaga and Lin-Manuel, I don't think, have any lines. Okay. Uh, they're, they're, they're more or less extras. Lady Gaga plays one of AJ's friends when they're um, going all, uh, uh, it follows in the high school pool and, you know. I'm in Satrelli's, I'm getting beef now. <laughs> and um, Lin-Manuel plays a 
the hotel employee who gives it an exasperated look. How at, does an Italian, New Jerseyan <laughs> kid from Newark? Something like that. Uh, Paul Dano has actually a, 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 a supporting role as also as one of AJ's friends. But and there's more. There's more than just that. There's a, there's a Will Arnett plays a small part. Right. Um, there's there's a few more. It's wild. Man, here I was like just thinking like all I'm gonna get is some Joey Pants, which I'm very excited about. Cause yeah, yeah. I yeah. just got to season three, and he showed up, and I'm like, here we go. He's got hair. This is gonna be. So <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like the setup you gave me, Chris, because we're getting into the history of Sopranos here a little, going back in time, mm-hmm. and uh, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the history of the Sopranos. So the pilot was first ordered in 1997. And the show eventually premiered on HBO January 10th of 1999. Uh, ran for six seasons, totaling 86 episodes in total, uh, with the last episode, the very infamous end of the episode, which we'll <laughs> talk about, uh, on June 10th, 2007. So it was uh, very well rewarded or awarded, as we've talked about. Had 21 Primetime Emmy Awards, five Golden Globes, uh, won a few Peabody Awards. I mean, it's spawned so many different things from that. And, uh, I mean, we have, <laughs> what, a cookbook, a video game. Um, I mean, a spinoff movie that we talked about. Uh, we have just a lot of careers that have launched from there, too. I mean, I just watched White Lotus not too long ago and Michael Imperioli. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Michael Imperioli is great in White Lotus, yeah. Yeah, which I totally get the the hype for Michael Imperioli now watching this show. Mm-hmm. I am like, wow, definitely. I wish he was in more stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was sort of, I was sort of actually kind of surprised when I heard that he was going to be in White Lotus because he he kind of sort of like James Gandolfini kind of just would do strange projects. Like he would sort of just pop mm-hmm. up in kind of whatever. Like one example that comes to mind is he was in the American remake of Old Old Boy. Is that what it's called? Old Boy? Yeah, the yeah. Spike yeah. Lee. This, yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, that's really strange. This is the only it's old really boy I have seen. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually I actually haven't seen the original either. Um, the original. But as far everyone tells me that it's, it's a shocking. That it's, it's much better. Like yeah. the first. And you can't, you can't stream it anywhere right now. I've been mm. trying to watch it because Blank Track is doing Park Chang-wook next. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been trying to get my hands on it. But I can buy a steelbook for 50 bucks. Might be worth it. it it's pretty be. good. <laughs> but no way. They're doing that 4K screening in August. That's when I'll be seeing it for the first time. There I decided. You go. That's good. Good to go. I think that's the best way to see it. Um, I mean, there's not a lot around how the show got developed. I think there's some talk about David Chase, you know, had some experience with these types of people in his youth or just kind of growing up in that area and kind of using a lot of that influence in what we actually see in the show. And I mean, it's been rated as one of the best shows of all time. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can look at a lot of lists that it'll be top three almost in every single yeah. best shows to ever air yeah. list. And I don't know. I mean, is there any big thing in the history you guys want to highlight here? The history of of the the show uh, itself. Of the show, yeah. <sighs> well, I'm gonna leave it to leave it to the experts. This week, <laughs> I'm still a novice. <laughs> well, I think that. Um, yeah, it did. It 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 did sort of, uh, like I said at the beginning, kick off this this sort of uh, you know sort of collective awareness of of you know what we want out of our entertainment, 
and and the quality of it and that sort of stuff. But uh, you know, it is highly highly influential. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, David like David Chase is is fascinating because he's such this you know curmudgeonly grump, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But you you know you you trust him, and he he. It's funny because he expects a lot, even out of just you as an audience member, um, you know, because he gets, you know, since The Sopranos came out, had been just hounded with answers. We want answers about this. We want answers about that. What happens at the end? What's with the blackout? What happens? What happens? What happens? And he goes, like, he gets furious. And he's like, hasn't anyone taken an English class? Hasn't anyone read a book? You know, we need everything spelled out. To, like, you know, come on. And, and it's, it, you know, it's not, I, I you know, I, it wasn't to troll anybody or to, you know, leave things open-ended or what do you think? Decide for yourself. It's, it really is. There's, there's so much more to it than that. Um, you know, like, like it's funny because we were talking about Pine Barrens. Pine Barrens, uh, sort of the consensus, I think, generally one of the most uh, uh, beloved episodes. Um, there's the the Russian. <laughs> what happens to the Russian? Um, sort of just background of Pine Barrens is that uh, um, Paulie and Christopher go to make a collection uh, for Silvio, and they end up getting it from a a Russian uh, mobster. They end up getting into a fight, and uh, they decide to. Uh, kill him, uh, I, and the, what happens throughout most of this this episode is that they're trying to find him. He escapes and he's in the woods. He's in Pine Barrens. They can't find him, and that's the last year we hear from the Russian ever again. And um, oh, that's good enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, David Chase though is it was you know had had always tried to you know field answers to this question. He's like furious. To the point where, unlike the ending, he's sort of just on the spot. It was amazing to have this amount of power made up, like exactly what happened. You, I won't spoil it for anyone. You can look it up. He just he just makes it up, mm-hmm. like in an interview, and he's like, "Okay, that's what happened. Done. I'm done with this." <laughs> he hasn't done that with the season finale of the show, but as far as the case of the Russian goes, yeah. <laughs> I think you said something about with the how Chase approaches the show. And it's similar, I feel, to shows like Succession and Breaking Bad and even The Wire, where it's you're watching a show, you expect this thing to happen because you've seen television and movies before, and then he does, like, what might happen in real life. There is a thing that happens in season three, I won't say it, but I'll just say it's like a bad thing that happens, and it never gets resolved. And there's scenes where it shows like, oh, this could be potentially when this gets resolved and you are bloodthirsty watching it almost. And at a moment, you kind of have to look at yourself and be like, oh, wait, 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 what's going on with me? Mm. Like, what's going on? I'm watching it. And you can watch this show with like a surface surface level approach. And it is kind of like, oh, it's like a good fellows in the suburbs. But then on a deeper level, like David Chase works in like Shakespearean quotes, kind of like how Succession does and like definitely different. Um, is it illusions? It's definitely, definitely Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah. Like I have on my quote page that I wrote down. There's a part where I think like Uncle June's just been stuck at his house for a while. And he says, I'm sitting here like patience on a monument waiting for discipline to be handed out, which I guess is a 12th night. Uh, 
homage. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, I looked it up, and I'm just like, oh, dude's like throwing in Shakespeare and other stuff. And I mean, the whole premise that the show is based on is is wildly interesting because I think when you when you get into this, you are expecting a Goodfellas show that's going to kind of like go through. Here's the life of what it's like being in the mob. But it's like it, literally the whole thing is like Tony is suffering from anxiety because this is the most pressure filled job that you probably could ever have because you're just constantly dodging the law. You're dodging other people who want you dead. You're trying to balance a family life. Right. And it's like, of course you would go see a therapist because it's like, mm-hmm. how would you ever manage this whole workload that Tony Soprano has? And, and you know, I, I, I think sort of expanding on that is you know, you have this extreme example in Tony Soprano, but when it when it comes to to men, it's like how do you handle anything? How do you handle the stresses of everyday life? How do you handle having a job, having a family? And you know, you see you see how popular culture will sort of expect a man to act at the time or the family is like, you, you know, you don't talk about your feelings. Tony talks about his feelings to the therapist. Everybody finds out there's big problems. You know, you you you, you suppress and you drink and you have violent outbursts. But, you know, as Junior says, you you something like, uh, you, you know, you solve it on your own. You, mm-hmm. you took care of it on your own, yeah. uh, you know, and that and that you know, sort of even suggesting that you are a man who has to talk about his emotions sets off, you know, a a chain of events that very nearly leads to um, Tony's death Mm -hmm. and in in the first season. And he has a line that goes, um, uh, cunnilingus and psychiatry are what brought us to this moment because uh, another part of that uh, conflict was was Tony's mocking of of Uncle June's uh, proclivity towards uh, oral se- towards giving oral sex, <laughs> yeah. which was seen as not masculine, uh, you know. So I yeah, I just think it's fascinating in that regard. I mean, it is a ludicrous way for the end of the season to go to be like, we have to kill this guy because he humiliated me. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that—that's pretty much it. They, you know, they—they they find Tony untrustworthy because he goes to a therapist. They think he's weak. They think he talks, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and there's a lot of conflict within, you know, families, workplaces. You know, men are supposed to be whatever happened to Gary Cooper. You know, <laughs> that he always says that Gary. He said he's always fucking talking about Gary Cooper. Whatever happened to Gary? The strong, strong silent, silent. The strong <laughs> silent type. You know, um, and yeah, it's like he's not talking about Gary Cooper, the actor. He's talking about fictional characters that Gary Cooper plays. You know, and uh, and it's because all of this is a fantasy. Like there is no, there is no Gary Cooper. There is like no no human being is you know able to suppress their humanity to the point that uh, we expect men to in order to be seen as proper quote unquote men. Absolutely. I think when you look at a lot of the characters in this series, they see how vulnerable they all are, and definitely it's such a fascinating thing again we were talking about like this is the lens that david chase is given to us and i think everybody is kind of like you know left to their own devices to try and work through what these guys are going through and you can see the trauma that a lifestyle of crime and being kind of a shitty person can do to you like i i love the episode in season two where christopher almost gets killed as well 
and he's in the hospital and everybody's questioning like the afterlife like what's going to happen man I'm going to go to hell I've given money to the church mm-hmm. but it's like it doesn't matter if you're giving to the church if you murder people with like yeah. no remorse oh, like, it goes so it goes so deep into you know morality and superstition I mean with the sopranos it, it it's specific to catholicism but um oh I mean I don't know there's so much to dive into about uh you know about big existential questions and, and how we conduct ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the the thing that nobody told me about this show is that it really plays with the abstract. I could not believe how many dream sequences there have been. I, I'm not even three yeah, you're, seasons. You're not even to when it gets crazy. Yeah, yeah you haven't like, got. Yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I feel wait. he's still trying. He's still leaving like the Goodfellas stuff a little bit because he knows like he's got to do a little bit of that to keep people interested. You know, a little bit of that fun gangster stuff, quote unquote fun. <laughs> yeah. The stylized stuff, I right. should say. Well, but then he'll hit you with some super abstraction, especially four and five seasons or five and six seasons are mm-hmm. wild. Yeah, well, and even some of the stylistic stuff that they're doing cinematically is like, I mean, you brought it up to me, Fred, off podcast, was like the beginning of season three. You get like this mashup of like the FBI bugging Tony's house and like you have like this like back and forth between sort of like this like uh, old school like 60s like cop like and it's constantly like shifting between like that and like every step you mm. take and it's yeah. like <laughs> I love that. That might be my favorite episode. I love Pine Barrens, but I just love that episode for some reason. Yeah. And it's just such an interesting thing. It just dives into so much of like the character psychology, the things. And just like you're constantly questioning what you're watching. And I mean, even to the point where like the end of season two and Tony's having like all like the fever dreams and stuff because he's sick and to the point where he gets pussy on the boat. And I am like, is any of this actually happening? <laughs> when you said gets pussy on the boat, my my like was like what? <laughs> well, I, mean, I got look, you. That happens too, but I'm talking about the character pussy, yeah, yeah. big pussy, yeah, mm. yeah. I, and I, all of all of what you just brought up, I think, still gets debated to this day a lot. There's a lot yeah. of analysis still going on. There's a lot of YouTube channels dedicated to theories about The Sopranos, and and you know the the nature of reality within the show. I mean, yeah, it does kind of feel like a lot of it goes a little off the rails once these guys have these near-death experiences, and it's just like, I mean, I think if I had one one critique of this show, I feel like some people recover a little too quickly from gunshot wounds. <laughs> oh like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still a TV show. Yeah, yeah. like uh, getting you know, stabbed and screamed. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, they murder someone in the middle of the street and no one gets arrested. It's like, all right, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, as you were talking about, friend, scream. It's almost like stab wounds are a suggestion. They're not actually happening to the person <laughs> like nobody's limping nobody's like killed over it's so funny but yeah i think there's definitely a lot about sopranos that i mean you, you look at it like i said cinematically you look at it from a story perspective you look at it from a character's perspective it's kind of got everything rolling like it's trying so many different things it's bringing in a lot of different elements different people to challenge tony's pers- perspective um i mean even in like season two when he goes to italy and he meets like a female head of like their of their family or you know it's like oh, oh like a woman can't run this thing and it's like oh she can <laughs> you know and she mm-hmm. does <laughs> i love Polly in that episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> try to get his order in <laughs> so 
I guess from there, well, I guess what are what are some of the other highlights of the series? And I guess we we've kind of breached the the spoiler threshold. So I guess this is like everyone's last chance. That if you don't want things really spoiled, please tune out here and now because we're gonna really get into the the nitty gritty of it. Uh, well, did you want to talk about the the characters or um, like specifically the characters? Yeah, let's dive into some of the character because I mean I don't think the show works without the characters, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the characters make the show. Uh, oh, I brought something in my pocket that I have not uh, shown you guys yet. I know you can't see it, but I am not a big Funko Pop guy, but I <laughs> went to the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, and I had to get this because it's hilarious. So it's a Funko Pop of Christopher Moltisanti, <laughs> and I, I, what made me decide to buy it is that he's holding a box of baked goods. <laughs> this oh is the bakery God. box, um, which is a reference to an early episode of The Sopranos where... Uh, you know, Tony goes, you know, hey, go get some cannoli and shfugidel and shit for the boys, for the guys. And he goes there, he goes to the deli and, you know, the, the infamous scene where he's getting, you know, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting, he gets impatient and he pulls a gun on the, the guy <laughs> behind the counter. He shoots him and he steals a whole bunch of baked goods. Yeah, um, I feel like that's like, <laughs> that scene is like the uh, spiritual brother of his scene in Goodfellas too, where he's getting messed with there is yeah. there is a ton of homage but in the sopranos to other you know famous uh mobster related uh, cultural uh touchstones like uh, a lot of a lot of godfather stuff a lot yeah. of goodfellas um i mean even silvio is like just constantly doing like mm-hmm. impressions of like, al pacino who he has he does have a kind of a resemblance to which makes yeah. it all the funnier yeah when he's he, does. he he's that thing that he does uh, once i get out they pull me right back in or whatever it is yeah. which is a um you know from godfather three um <laughs> Al, Al Pacino's character, uh, Michael Corleone, is yeah, always saying I, that about trying to get out, and he's always mm-hmm. going back in. I gotta ask Tom, you know, you love your, you love your classic rock. When you see Silvio, does it make your heart smile? Like <laughs> as a, as a Bruce Springsteen fan. So I didn't even become. To, like it, I wasn't aware until probably a couple days ago. What? And oh, really? My my fiance pointed out to me that that was a member of the E Street Band, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And then I I started connecting the dots in yeah. my head, and it's a crazy story too. It was just I um, the story is some. I think David Chase was hanging out where someplace where Steven Van Zandt was and he was like telling jokes or something and he was not an actor like he was I, I don't think he was in anything before that yeah um, and David Chase thought that he just was so entertaining to watch and so magnetic um, that he he had him read for Tony Soprano oh wow um, he was being considered to play Tony uh, ended up being Silvio but yeah, it was kind of it. And then um, after The Sopranos was over, I haven't seen the show, but he was in a, another mob show called Lily Hammer, uh, which was on Netflix. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, from what I hear, more or less, just kind of plays the same character. <laughs> it's like if Sylvia like goes to the middle of nowhere, right? Like, and he has yeah, because like, he's live in, like, in Alaska. witness protection or yeah. something. Yeah. Oh wow. And he's like, oh, I'm hunting over here or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I can't. I don't remember how to pronounce his name, but there's Anthony Lapaglia was was originally going to be Tony Soprano and I don't know if you guys ever watch Frasier but um wait, 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 who who does he play in Frasier? I'm not He was going to in Frasier he plays Daphne's brother who's the drunk. Oh yeah. He's oh I'm sorry Daphne and because he's oh, yeah. Australian but he in the 80s and 90s 
made bank playing like Italian gangster types. Like I think he's the bad guy in the client. I just went and watched a bunch of Grisham movies and uh, he's in that, but uh, he's an actor who like was very much close to about to be Tony Soprano. Like I think they film stuff. Yeah. And he's Australian. Yeah. Wow. Which huh. it's very interesting to think because you can't imagine anybody else playing Tony. And I mean, no, not at all. Yeah, we've talked to a great length. I think. Oh, I mean, we can get into a lot about Tony. I mean, there's so many different things you can talk about Tony, but it is a, it's a broadcast. Like we were just talking about Steven Van Zandt as Silvio, who is a very entertaining character. <laughs> I just showed Tom a picture of Anthony Lapaglia. I was like, you know this guy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like, no, it's it's uh, uh Gandolfini was meant to play the role, but I don't think he would have been bad the other guy. <laughs> no. Yeah. I I it, it's it's always crazy how that works out, you know. You, you you hear who's being considered for what, who reads auditions for this and that, and then, you know, it it comes to life and you can't imagine anyone else ever doing it. There's a really I uh, you know, I I know that at some point you said you wanted to talk about James Gandolfini specifically, but um, when he passed away, he had filmed, I believe, a pilot for uh, an incredibly good show on HBO called The Night Of. Mm. And um, like, oh, if if I have, if there were like one piece of lost media that I, you know, were able to choose to watch, it would be this unaired pilot of The Night Of because throughout Gandolfini's career, he played a lot of mobsters. He played a lot of, you know, and, and before he, especially before he was Tony Soprano, a lot of them were kind of similar. They weren't great movies, you know. There was a sort of like, you know, he was playing a lot of sort of mobster-type villains. But this this character in The Night Of, is it, it would have been totally different. Um, mm. And the uh, who ended up replacing him was John Turturro, who made... Uh, uh, what, yeah, one of the I think one of the best performances of his mm-hmm. career, wow. just an incredibly well crafted character. And I after that was over, I was like, I can't imagine anyone else doing this except John Turturro. Um, so it's yeah, it's wild how that how that works out. I'd really recommend the night of it's like oh, six yeah. episodes. Riz Ahmed before R- he's super right famous. before he became huge and was nominated for Oscars and stuff. Wow. Riz Ahmed, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 absolutely fantastic. Um, Michael K. Williams, uh, prior to his passing, um, plays a fascinating character. Just it's a lot, great. a lot of great. HBO loves to stick with their people once they got yeah. them under contract. Yeah, they're sort of like Wes Anderson. You know, they they have this. You know, like Michael K. Williams also plays a small role in in The Sopranos. Of course, he does. Um, <laughs> very small, very small. But uh, and it, I. It's so funny because you watch these early HBO shows. Uh, another one that I haven't mentioned yet is Oz, which I also really, really love. Never Oz. seen Oz. Oh, Oz, Oz is Oz is wonderful, especially if you are like me and have a theater degree. It is it is incredibly theatrical. Don't you like, see J.K. Simmons' butt in that? Uh, yeah, you see his butt, or at least his his butt double. Um, there's, all, I mean, you see a lot of butts in that show. <laughs> I just love like that's gonna be stopping me from watching Oz. J.K. Simmons' butt. I want to watch to see my butt inside of Frank. <laughs> or it's also the guy from Law and Order is in it. The guy from Law. Who's the guy? Uh, Chris. Chris. Uh, oh, Chris Maloney. Chris. Chris Maloney. Maloney. I think is in it. And yeah. someone once said, "Yeah, I think he's like getting like searched, and he has to spread cheeks." And I was like. 
Oh, on Oz? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm older now. I can look over that and say, yes, I'll watch Oz. But I remember uh-huh. when I was younger, I was like, I don't want to see the Law and Order guy do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, but there is so much crossover between all of these all of these shows. They Like, for example, Edie Falco, before she was playing Carmella, played a pretty major character on Oz, and they write her off the show when she transitions <laughs> to playing Carmella in the, like, in the silliest possible way. Yeah. Um, it's you know I know this show's not about Oz, but, but there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover between between the actors and somehow they all they all make it work. Oh, I mean, wizards even, at HBO. Yeah, all the way down to Jamie Lynn Sickler playing like Turtles, like significant other on uh, Entourage, which is a show that ages like fucking milk. Like now, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't seen Entourage. I never watch Entourage. I don't know that I would recommend it now. I mean, it had its moments, but it's definitely just boys being boys type shit, yeah, and sure. it's just sort of like of its moment what's uh, what's what's oz streaming on now is that on yeah it's on max yeah i yeah, know I, I was leading you in for oh, it god I'm sorry yeah. guys not hbo max anymore no, just, today just max. as uh we're dating this podcast but <laughs> as of today it's max it's max <laughs> yeah and I, I actually found that out while i was i got here a little early and i was gonna you know watch some of the episode that i had been watching in preparation for this you know mm-hmm. this uh momentous podcasting event but i uh i, I had download max first <laughs> uh, and i got impatient so i didn't watch it uh, i did that at work today and i was like what am i doing i'm not gonna watch anything why am i deleting hbo max and downloading max right now yeah <laughs> you never know though you just needed to have it for that emergency sopranos episode that you I, need to get. I wanted to see i was like are they adding any more movies for me and no they're adding a bunch of reality yeah. tv which i don't need yeah i mean it's just gonna be i mean as long as it gives me sopranos in my pocket at any time whenever i want yeah yeah they, Get that you can take my money yeah sopranos curb i'm trying to think of like what else is on there that's just always good oh, well i mean as of i mean now i guess as of this episode succession and barry just ended but succession people should probably go back and watch oh. at least one of those shows because they're both great oh yeah i love um, so house I'm of the dragon hot D. i never watched hot D. I, <laughs> I didn't, didn't watch I didn't it. either i was after game of thrones i was like i'm done with this get back <laughs> on it get back on that hot d you guys are not gonna regret it <laughs> yeah but the only problem with hot d I heard Mariska Hargitay is in it, and she does sometimes. <laughs> I just have a problem with Law and Order people and shows. This show is referred to as Hot D, or is that just you guys? That's, just <laughs> us. that's, that's, that's the that's House D? of the Dragon. Oh. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like the first thing we all think of when we my, think of Hot D. My wife <laughs> used to work as like a daycare teacher, and one of the parents was a Milwaukee police officer who works in Bayview. Yeah, tall, good-looking guy, and all the people that work there called him Hot. Dad, oh. and so whenever you guys said hot D, I was thinking about hot dad, and then Ashley ended up working as like a nanny for them specifically, oh, wow. which was nice when we moved to Bayview because we knew like one of the you know bicycle police officers around here. Yeah. But it's just funny, like whenever she tells a story and he's involved, like a hot dad, I'm like, you don't have to call him that. <laughs> <laughs> that should be you, Fraser. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hot dad. <laughs> one day, one day. I so know. I mean, but we're we're definitely circling in the drain on a couple of the things that we wanted to get into with the fact that yeah the rest of this cast i mean we can certainly go to great lengths to talk about gandolfini i think we should at least at some point here really talk about what a great job he is he's done with tony soprano i mean we talked about how he laid the groundwork for a lot of like anti-heroes in so many series afterward but you know going back to talk about edie falco 
Talk about somebody who really is trying to like try to thread the needle. She has mm-hmm. to be the supportive wife who knows what's going on, but still is content with the situation. <laughs> yeah, I love the moments when she's awful, and you're like, oh yeah, she's not that great either. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the best. Well, you know, they're all still people. They all still have. There's, they have their humanity, they have their weaknesses, they have their emotions, they have all these things. That doesn't g- necessarily go away, but they've yeah. also all made a deal with the devil. And um, like I was listening to one podcast, one Sopranos channel about Bobby Bacala, uh, you know, who he's often seen as like the nice guy. He's the nice mobster. You know, he he's he's genuinely a good guy. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, he kills people. He ruins people's lives. He scams people. He does all this horrible stuff, you know, like they all do. And uh, Carmela, you know, marrying who she did is no exception, Um, although to her credit. She does try and struggle with struggles with that throughout, but um, you know I think most of them do. Uh, mm-hmm. Even the most ruthless uh, among them, Johnny Sack, uh, you know, for example, you know, you see him, you see him break at a certain point, and it's like, what is all this for? Um, you know, there's a you know a, a important episode where his daughter gets married, and he throws this massively lavish wedding and he works out a deal with the judge to get out of prison so he can go to the wedding and he isn't i think in a conversation with tony says well well, you know he was like well you spent a lot of money here and he's like well what what do we do what we do for or when when i think someone is is in the hospital christopher maybe and i think tony says you know hey we don't we're not gonna be on our deathbed thinking about you know uh, how we could have gotten more no-show jobs, for example, and right. it's like it's it's all of that, you know. But you know, only in our most extreme, uh, vulnerable moments are men allowed to uh, to talk that way and to talk about you know the real nature of their humanity. Um, and as soon as that is, as soon as that moment passes, it's back to just cold and brutal business. So it's definitely just, you know, I'll keep saying it. It's, it's not, you know, look how awesome these mobsters are. You want to be just like them. And I was just going to say, and then at that same time, my heart is bleeding for Johnny Sack. And that scene, like, I right. feel bad for him. Exa- I'm exactly. like, he's the I mean, worst. How, how can you not? But then it's like, you remember just earlier in the season, he he's, you know, putting out absolutely brutal hits on, um, at the time, Little Carmine's uh, people, uh, you know, who's, who he's, he's vying, you know, for power against, um, you know, he just absolutely ruthless things. He lets, he lets Phil Leotardo torture people, but at the same time, you, you know, he's, he's in prison, he's sick, he, you know, he is a broken man and you, you cannot help but feel sorry for him, uh, if you have, you know, if you have a heart, which, which we all do. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he loves his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are people who know they're not good people too. I think we, we talked about it too in that episode before where they're kind of playing with like the whole like spirituality of it all. And they're like, Oh, am I going to go to hell when I'm dead? It's like, yeah, probably if there is a hell, you're going to go. If there's a like, hell, you definitely belong. <laughs> I love it when like Polly does like the math on the hell Marys. He's, he's like, I just got to yeah. do like 60,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot, a lot of commentary on uh i I, i'll say christianity 
in the Sopranos. It's like, you know, these are, these are devout Catholics, these guys, you know, they, they, but they basically, you know, they, they, they buy their way into, into heaven or so they think through these, these, you know, their relationship with the church and the money that they give them. I mean, yeah. And you look at like characters like Pauly, who is a very, another very interesting character of somebody who on the surface is like the most characteristic type mobster guy you'll ever see. You know, he's kind of like, you know, (laughs) his fucking laugh and he's just, he's getting his manicures and stuff. And it's so interesting to see when he comes face to face with pressure, when he really shows his real self. And it's like, this is like a scared man Mm -hmm. who is so insecure. Very paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. You know who plays him in Many Saints in Newark? Who's that? My guy. Billy Magnuson. Oh, wow. He doesn't get enough to do, he sadly. He does not get enough to do, but uh, there is one moment in Many Saints where I, like, my jaw dropped because I was like, it's it's Pauly. Like, that, like... He just absolutely nails it in this this one moment. I I was blown away. Yeah, yeah. I, that's one of my favorite like kind of new actors on the Who's scene. Who's Billy Magnuson? I mean, Billy was, Magnuson. He was in Game Night. He was in um, the new James Bond movie. Ingrid goes west. He's just been popping up and stuff. And he mm-hmm. is a really handsome guy, but he's like twitchy and weird and kind of like, is this dude a freak? <laughs> like, sure, like sure. that's his like vibe. Crispin Glover. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like the type oh, he of guy. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of Bradley Cooper in a way because he looks like just a major. What happened to Bradley Cooper? <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> like he just looks like he should be playing the major Sorry, raging douchebag so every single time. And yet he's always kind of playing interesting parts. Mm. And you're like, oh, he's got depth. Like you think yeah. that he'd just be stuck in like, oh, I'm going to be the D bag. Who's always like with the girl. Yeah, Bradley the- Cooper did turn the corner like that. Mm-hmm. Well. Cause yeah. right. Like when he comes on the scene in wedding crashers, just to make the comparison, you look at him and you're like, Oh God! This guy's just gonna play this role for the rest of his career, and now he's doing some of the most interesting work of like anybody in Hollywood. Like, yeah, yeah, kind of like Leo, Leo DiCaprio, I guess. A little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of like, an extreme example. Just gonna be the pretty boy, and but, now he's gonna. But be... oh yeah, he was pretty boy. And he was a terrible actor earlier in his career. He was yeah. like so bad, so bad in Titanic, so bad in Romeo and Juliet. But he's you know this this beautiful young man, and now he's one of the, you know, I'll say it like he is an objectively great actor. Yeah. So putting your hands in so many auteurs. And like putting in the work will get you there for sure. Absolutely, yeah. and everybody wants to work mm-hmm. with them if they can get them, right? Mm-hmm. And then two more, because I don't think we'll talk about many saints, but I've just been waiting for this. You, you know who plays Uncle Junior? Who's that? Corey Stahl, Modoc. Wow, and it's pretty great. Modoc. Dom, Dom, who's Modoc? Dom, so Dominic Kianese is the actor. Who's Modoc? Uh, that's uh, Ant Man three. Oh, he, he and was, the bad guy oh, from Ant Man one. He's Darren Cross. Yeah. Oh wow, he's in Ant Man. Yeah, yeah he's like, he plays Uncle June. Wow, that's he's like he's ninety two years old. Um, yeah, the last thing I saw him in was Boardwalk Empire. He plays a minor role in. Boardwalk. Oh really? Of yeah. course, of course um, he does. <laughs> yeah, Dominic Kianese. Um, yeah. Who who also does a, a really interesting job. Yeah, I had, that's right. He's. So, I'm sorry. I, I was trying to remember what uh, the other thing I saw him in, which is Godfather Two. Yeah, I was gonna say who yeah. was also in Godfather Two. Really, Uncle yeah. Junior? We're talking about. Yeah, he's yeah. Johnny Ola. He, he does such an interesting part in this because he almost kind of seems a little harmless, but he's almost like can be one of the more ruthless people on the show. Oh, he's 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 I think the most ruthless in the in the first season, and the only reason he he becomes less threatening is because his health is in decline. Right. 
which it's such a funny thing to to see that kind of come to a, a point where you can kind of sense that they really realize that uh, the actress playing Tony's mom and I'm, her name is escaping me at this point, but. I think in real life, her health must have been declining. They must have had some idea because they really. Oh, for sure. I mean, well, yeah, she, I mean, the character dies when she dies. Like when, what is her name? I don't remember. Livia, um, Livia Soprano, like, you know, at the time it was this big revolutionary thing where they, uh, after she had passed away, they cobbled together this scene yeah. from like archival footage or, you know, cutting room floor stuff between her and Tony. And it was like, Whoa! They're having this scene, and she's mm-hmm. not even alive. Yeah. I mean, like today, it's it's incredibly awkward and just uncanny and weird. It's to distracting. Watch. It, it's a uh, it's very strange. But, Nancy uh, Marchand yeah. is her name. Yeah, Nancy Marchand. That's right. Because yeah, she's she plays an interesting part because at one point I'm like, is she that great of an actress? And I'm kind of like, but you know what? She does kind of seem like how every like Italian grandmother would be or something like that. I'm like, look at what you're doing. He talks about (laughs) his mother. Yeah. (laughs) Can you believe what they do to me? The Lord would take me now. I can't really do Olivia, but um, yeah, she's a larger than life character. John Barenthal plays Tony Soprano's dad. Many say Barenthal. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good yeah, man. He plays Johnny Boy mm-hmm. Soprano. Uh, of a Michael uh, Michael Gandolfini, of course, mm-hmm. plays Tony Soprano. Uh, in, in Peck, I mean, he's just a spitting <laughs> image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his his gait and his um, posture is is like the same. Right. Yeah. The 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 one of my favorite things about Many Saints is the the accuracy with through the physicality of the characters that we all are so familiar with and, and you know, are so, and, and love just, just physically, they, they all, they all, there seem to be an emphasis on that. And it's really interesting from an acting perspective. Yeah. I think we could like roll this into like coulda, woulda, shouldas a little bit and continue talking about many saints, unless you guys have any more highlights from the main show. I mentioned, we mentioned the cookbook. I picked up the cookbook and today we had some Sunday gravy. Oh, the gravy was good. Oh, the gravy was good. The gravy yeah. was very good. Yeah. Um, and I recommend if anyone's a Sopranos fan, grab the cookbook. It was not expensive. I got it from a used bookstore for like <laughs> six bucks. Yeah, you can get it on I got it on eBay for like five bucks or something. <laughs> and it just shows how lived in the world is and uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda is. More products like this for shows I like where you're flipping through the pages and there's like diary entries from characters there's listicles of all this different stuff and it just feels like it makes the world solid but uh i do want to talk about many saints a little bit because it was just this thing that has been talked about for years Mm -hmm. and then it was like the pandemic and right when things kind of were starting to open up i think it was dropped day and date yeah, and it, uh, it came out in the theater and on streaming around the same time mm, when HBO very, was doing that. Very close, and I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it, watched it at home, and I, I saw <laughs> the theaters. And the vibe of the theaters was you could just hear the significant others whispering to their other significant other, like, "Oh, you see, that's Uncle June. You see, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the whole yeah, movie, to, just to little titters. That they yeah. just dragged to the theater yes. to watch many scenes in Newark. That's fine. Yeah, I'd say uh, that movie is mildly successful, but I wish it would have been uh, like a six episode miniseries because it's not really a movie. It would have been ideal um, to have a, a, a sort of sequel prequel series 
But what's cool is it's set against the Newark riots of, I believe, the 60s, maybe the 70s. Okay. And uh, it's got also kind of not only the Italian mob side, but also has the beginning of kind of African-American mob side. Head up by another uh, Hamilton alum, Leslie Odom play Leslie oh, Odom wow. Jr. plays the gangster in that, and it's great to see him in movies. Nice. Like I just want it more, him in more stuff. But uh, it's a pretty interesting look at the '60s or the '70s, whatever it takes. I think it's late '60s, bleeding into '70s, uh, of like New York in this struggle of the crime world and also like the police force. Because what's interesting about the movie is it shows. The police going after the African American criminals, while the white or the Italian mobs are just like able to drive past no problem. Right. I think that's when it kind of functions the best. But I wish it was kind of like six episodes on HBO. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, I would have loved that. It does feel like they keep running into that whenever they do a movie spinoff of like an HBO show that they always kind of like have a very promising idea. But then there's always sort of like, is the execution there or are they more limited because they don't have as much time to stretch the way that they have been able to with the shows that they've done before them, right? Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. I can't wait to catch many scenes in New York just to kind of get an opinion about Mm -hmm. it. I do want to talk about something that is somewhat controversial. Uh, what is somewhat controversial. I say that with the most like subtle way to go. <laughs> Let's talk about the ending, you guys. Like, <laughs> were you okay with how the show ended, or would you have preferred something definitive? No, absolutely. I think I think the ending is great. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. I think it's I think it's perfect. If it was anything, if it was anything else, I think it would have been less effective. I think it also just like knowing about the like I knew how that show ended ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, because I, I, I also had that, knew how it ended before I wa- even watched the show. Right, so yeah. I feel like maybe I would have had feelings about it if I didn't know. But because I knew, like I had the expectation that the show is just going to end; it's not going to have a payoff, and it it does wrap some stuff up by the end. But it does leave you with the feeling that the main character has. Which, like, is this over, always looking over your shoulder. It won't be all good. Everything will always be tense. And I think that's a great way to end it. Yeah, I think so, too. They, I mean, David Chase, like, laughs at us because he said something really funny. He was like, well, they, they wanted him face down in a plate of linguine. <laughs> it's like, you know, how literal do we need things to be? Um, nonetheless, I, I mean, I personally, I do think that the ending is very much more unambiguous than uh, it seems. I think it's pretty straightforward. Even beyond does Tony live or die, you know, I, I I think it's pretty pretty obvious, at least generally, what happens and why. Um, but it's just a very unorthodox way to, to present that. Yeah, I guess that's what I, I've always wondered because, I mean, and I am going throughout the same thing. The ending is so infamous and so mm-hmm. controversial, famously controversial. Yeah, everyone thought their TV was acting up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I did remember when I watched it, I did do like the click and move back just to be sure I didn't miss anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which like what it, it's just I think it's a very odd way, like the not even like fade out the. Because it's playing uh, Don't Stop Believing. Don't Stop Believing, yeah. Which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like this cornball-ass song. Yeah, right. Well, there, I mean, there is... Uh, there is a specific reference to you know a few episodes before to more or less explain 
the ending and why it is so abrupt uh, in a scene with I think it with Bobby Bacala and and Tony talking about you know what is it what is it like you know when you when you die like a mobster you know and Bobby pretty much explains it exactly how it plays out in the episode of things just going black and about it happening before you even realize it. Wow. Which, which uh, you know, I, David Chase did, did more or less accidentally confirm that in an interview as much as he didn't want to. Because, but. sorry, you know, you, you're getting the vibe and I don't think it'll ruin the show, but if they're sitting at the diner, the last shot is Meadow coming through the door and it's kind of from the angle, now that I'm thinking about where Tony's sitting-ish, just zoomed in, mm-hmm. right? The last shot is literally like her coming through the door and it cuts to black. Yeah. So I guess you could assume like someone just shot him in the back of the head yeah. and like that yeah. that's what he saw just yeah, like exactly. done yeah it's pretty uh, the man and the man in the members only jacket they you know they don't have him there for no reason they're not mm-hmm. just screwing around it's like he's there he's being focused on for a reason it know, would have been because he's an assassin. <laughs> like, it would have been super lame and cheesy, but I think people would have gotten it if it like did the cut to black and then you heard like an obnoxious gunshot noise. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. that would have been awful. But then people would have at least known what was going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure people would have loved it. Um, I I intended to say that I would have loved it. Uh, maybe if if I didn't know how it ended already. But um, no, I think it's better this way. Yeah. Well, good. I guess that's what I was gonna say. And do you feel like it ended at a, at a logical point? Was there more story to tell in that series, or was there kind of hit headed hit its run? I mean, we, gosh, we, I mean, we like there's yeah, there's any number of things that could have you know you could have made another series, you could have made sequels and all that, but you know, do you need to? I would say no. I think that that you know the the messages and the point of the show and the character arcs, they all more or less end, I think pretty, pretty logically. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I went to the mobster, the mob museum in, in Las Vegas. And there's this, um, part of the exhibit, uh, called, you know, like what happens, you know, went to aging mobsters and there are, there are these like very limited set of, you know, of, of circumstances and how they work out. Either they flip, they get murdered, you know, they go to jail that, you know, there is it's rare to have a happy ending for somebody like Tony Soprano. And, um, you know, I think that through the telling of the story, that's what you really get is that, you know, e- even if he doesn't get killed, like he's screwed, you know, he's been he's been, you know, he's been ratted on. He's going to jail or he's going to die um, or right. he has to flip himself. You know, there is no there is no happy ending and just to expand on my my previous point, I think that there's no happy ending for, uh, you know, those of us who who force ourselves to suppress our humanity to fit into whatever we think our families or our work or society thinks that we should we should be. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a great point. And I think that's kind of why every mobster movie has the same ending. It's like. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have three logical outcomes. You're never going to go out. I mean, even, I mean, I haven't seen Godfather Part 3, but it's like, you know, Michael getting sucked back in. It's like, even when you think you're out, you're never out. That's what John, <laughs> happened to John Wick, right? Like, you know, you can't get involved with this life, this type of life, this life of crime, and just be done with it. You can't rinse your hands. It's going to stay with you forever, whether or not you're actually involved with it, because it's going to be part of you. 
forever because all the things you've done, you know? Yeah, you're not going to get away with it with everything, all the good stuff at least. Because I just think about, like, then a Goodfellas, him in witness protection. Although that's that's not the end of his story. I mean, there's also the sequel. Goodfellas 2. My Blue Heaven. You guys don't know about My Blue Heaven? Is that actually? Uh, all right. So, guys, I'll tell you this. I is Sopranos adjacent. So, there's Goodfellas based on the book written by Henry Hill. Henry Hill's wife wrote a book about their time as ex-gangsters living in witness protection, which was made into a movie starring Rick Moranis and Steve Martin. Steve Martin as the gangster character. Right. And it's a comedy about a gangster in witness protection about the same character as Ray Liotta. No and, shit. Yeah. And I think that's a great... I've done the back the back-to-back of both of them. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. You I got think you just <laughs> pitched us on a, on a franchise, Fred. <laughs> That'd be a good episode. <laughs> the Henry good Hill fellas. story. Yeah. yeah, the Henry Hill stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Mm. So maybe that's my question then for you guys with another coulda, woulda, shoulda. If you could make a sequel series or make another story about anybody in the series, and, I mean, not you can even go beyond whether or not some of these guys actually die in the series or whatever. If they could have done an adjacent thing about maybe their life before they pass away, who would you have focused it around? I'll just jump <laughs> in and say, because uh, I already know, it'd be AJ and Meadow, like, somehow, both of them. And it doesn't have to necessarily be, like, a gangster story. I don't see them, like, taking over the job. No, but yeah, I think no. I would be interested in what their lives are now if we assume that Tony's dead, which even if he didn't die that day, he probably is dead in mm-hmm. modern life. Uh-huh. I would like to see them trying to live normal-ish lives with that background, going back home to Edie Falco and what's her deal, you know, right. like, if she they, survived. Yeah, yeah, how do they recover from, you know... Are they taken care of, you know, in the in the sense mm-hmm. that they're still, you know, getting, you know, sort of legacy money tangentially related to uh, Tony's business? Or do they just cut the cord entirely? Are they, you know, yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I haven't, I even thought too much about this, to be honest, because I, I feel like the series ends when it should. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, uh, you know, I, I do, th- I do think that it's like, like that is interesting to think of like the the main characters, and you know, because uh, the ones that are surviving, um, what their life would be like um, post Tony, ones that that aren't personally in his in his business, you know, so like his his kids and and Carmen. And all that, like the how do you Sopranos? Yeah, how do you? How do you? Yeah, yeah how how the would you, altos? How would you? <laughs> how would you adapt to regular life? Is it possible? That would be an interesting thing to explore. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would say like my biggest coulda, woulda, shoulda is I just want another show from David Chase. It does. I don't want it necessarily to be Sopranos. I just want him to put out more because. Many Saints of Newark, I had like issues with it as a movie, but as just like a piece of entertainment, the dude is is a voice, and I like mm-hmm. hearing his writing. And I would I would love him to maybe even do like a historical piece. He seems to be a history buff. Hmm. I mean, I want to see his Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah, I have thought about too. I think the the last coulda woulda shoulda I'll throw out there is I would have loved to have seen where James Gandolfini's career would be now yeah. if he had lived For a little sure. bit longer. Yeah, well, yeah, he died young. Um, yeah, like I said, I would have loved to have seen his version of 
the night of. Yeah. I would but, love uh, to see him in an MCU movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm I feel kidding. like he almost would have been on like a Christopher Walken type path. I, where it's yeah, like, I, oh, I think he'd be huge today. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Where it's like you go from doing like these like serious dramas where it's almost like it seems like you got like some timing and then he starts doing just weird like comedies where it's like maybe he is like a, a guy in witness production. He is doing like the Henry Hill, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. My Blue Heaven type <laughs> Steve Martin role, you know, and like, yeah, yeah, I got it out. And here's where I'm at now. He's there, just mowing his lawn. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of, especially since he died young, a lot of speculation about James Gandolfini as a person. Mm-hmm. And like my understanding is that like during the show, he was like, he is not Tony Soprano. He's not just going out there and playing himself. He's a very different sort of reserved. I think one of the other cast members described him as a shy theater nerd. No, oh, wow. um, You know, he was he not comfortable with fame. Just, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a very reserved person. He didn't do like, he didn't do a lot of interviews. I think he did one on 60 Minutes and it was this big thing. And it's actually, it's strange to watch because I think it's probably the only time the the public at large really got to see him just sort of be himself as a human, as an actor. And, uh, you know, talk about, talk about the show, talk about the character. And uh, yeah, it's like watch, it's like seeing the same body of a person but with a completely different person because yeah, <laughs> he's leaning into the like voice more right he's he doesn't have that much oh of not the, at all no yeah, yeah not at all yeah he reminds me of like the i can't think of the actor's name i i know his name too but the guy who plays a red foreman on that seven oh yeah kurt Boddicker. yeah 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 and he plays a lot of hard ass roles like, he's always like you know kind of like a villain like he's the bad guy in robocop he's, yeah i like, just had my fucking phone call yeah <laughs> kurtwood smith kurtwood, kurtwood smith, smith yeah. that's it yeah and or like you know, Red Foreman is just kind of an old school dad, and they said yeah. like Offset, he's just like a big hippie, like he Dumbass wears flip flops <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> asshole dad and Dead Poet Society. Yes, oh All my right. God, that's a great role with this too. Doing fucking theater. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't say that, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can imagine him saying it, right? Yeah, I would have loved to seen roles of Gandolfini using his warmth because even as Tony Soprano, he has these great scenes of warmth. But this kid's very like rarely, but you, he can turn that on. Yeah, and I think there are a few movies where he did that yeah there was i haven't seen it but there one of his posthumous releases was like a romantic comedy or something with julia louise dreyfus yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That i hear fun. he's really good which in. i i it seems without having seen the movie seems like an entirely different character mm-hmm. um probably my favorite sopranos adjacent piece of media is a movie called killing them softly yes and um it's uh it's sort of kind of an obscure film i don't think it's like creatively directly related to the sopranos at all but it has a lot of the same actors including uh the guy who plays johnny sack and james gandolfini is is also in it playing still playing a mobster but like kind of the opposite of Tony Soprano at the height of his power, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think is a good way of putting it. And it's, it's yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Um, Interesting. Great movie. Mm-hmm. Incredibly strange cast, but like such a good cast. Yeah, it's the director who did uh, the assassination of Jesse James and um, the coward Rob, Robert Ford. Robert Ford. <laughs> was, I was like, is it Robert Ford? Yeah, it was Robert yeah. Ford. He also directed the smash hit Netflix's Blonde. 
<laughs> but I would still say killing them softly yeah. is great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, I think I should, yeah. Yeah. Sam Shepard is randomly in it for like one mm-hmm. scene. Uh Richard Why not? Yeah, Richard <laughs> Jenkins is Ooh, in it. Ooh, love yeah. Jenkins. Yeah. yeah. Um, MVP. Uh de- what's his, what is his Australian guy from He's Australian in real life. He's in Star Wars. Uh, What's his name? Bad guy in Ready Player One. Yep. The gambler guy in Mississippi Grind. I got you. No, yeah. I'm just going to keep naming Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn. Yes. Ben Mendelsohn. Brad Pitt, of course, plays more or less the, the main character. The, the trailer it, was that great shot of like Brad Pitt going through like a trailer and then like busting out a dude yeah. on the side. I remember that clearly. Yeah. I guess it's definitely interesting to think about <laughs> just, yeah, all the adjacent movies. And I'm, I'm I'm even going back to Gandolfini here for a second too, because like I think about Fred and I watched True Romance before we watched, we did our Quentin Tarantino episode not too long ago, and Gandolfini plays just a very traditional mobster mm-hmm. role in that, which yeah. he's fine in. The movie itself is fine too, but yeah. I kind of like wonder, like, man, what if you gave him something like? And I don't know why I'm con- comparing him here, but it's like almost like a John Favreau type role, like put him in Chef, right? And like, uh, <laughs> like he's just rolling around in a food truck. I mean, yeah, that, and that's that's kind of what he did. I, I before The Sopranos, like there was even oh god, I, I on on Tubi, I saw I saw just James Gandolfini's face on Tubi just pop up. Um, a movie that I never heard of called Italian Movie. It was a, like I watched like half of it. It's like, really not good. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that the plot is that there's like a, a pizza shop owner who owes money to the mob, and so he tries to become a gigolo or something. To, oh, to isn't this a musical? Um, I, maybe it's the 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 prototype of a musical like um maybe it would be successful as a musical i know there's a james gandolfini musical movie that i hear is not not good oh i want i look it up talk talk amongst yourselves um but anyway james gandolfini plays you know the bad guy mobster in it and he it's 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 fascinating in that it's the character is sort of a proto Tony Soprano. It's yeah. it's more or less. It's a. It's like the the character only with bad writing, and he th- throws in a really awkward Italian accent that just makes an appearance every once in a while. It's very strange. Wow. <laughs> okay, so here it is, and here's something for you. It's called Romance and Cigarettes from 2005. It's musical starring. Uh, sorry, look at this. Just a little picture here of him singing. Oh my. Oh wow! Of James Gandolfini, and uh, it's musical directed. Can he sing? I don't know. Uh, you wow. have to find James Gandolfini, Susan Sarandon, Kate Winslet, just some people in this movie. movie. Steve Buscemi, Bobby Cannavale, Mandy wow. Moore, Mary Louise Parker. Wow. Directed by John Turturro. Nice. Oh my god! So, <laughs> I have to watch. What is this called? I have to watch. Romance and cigarettes. It is on Tubi. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. I'd, wow. That sounds like a movie. I don't even need to subscribe out. to Tubi because it's free. <laughs> Just the fact that Turturro's behind the helm makes me all the yeah. more interested. Oh, John. Yeah, John Turturro. I could. Yeah, we could. Like, if the, if you ever want to do an episode about John Turturro, John Turturro's franchise player, John Turturro. Yeah, that was. I want to do episodes called franchise player reps, and you pick an actor who like is in a bunch of franchises. And mm. pop, like a, a that guy character. Yeah, actors. yeah, yeah. John Turturro is like a that guy whose name you know. Yes, yeah, for sure. For <laughs> like sure. Like Joey Pants. Yeah, yeah, like like Joey Pants or Richard Jenkins. Yeah, uh, James Cromwell. Everybody, everybody <laughs> falls into that. So speaking of characters, guys, I did want to get into our power rankings for the week and talk bow, about bow, bow, bow. who some of your favorite characters are, or who you think are the top three best characters from The Sopranos. 
I'm kind of curious, though. Should we do a no Tony rule? Yes. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Yeah, just because I would want him in, but yeah. Because I feel like the consensus is that Tony is probably the best character in the show, right? Like, well, he's like, yeah, I mean, he's the most <laughs> developed, you know, he's... Right. He's, he's got the most screen time, so he's, he's the, the most opportunity it's, it's to shine. Show, yeah. right? I mean, right. it's, it's the whole show. But there are so, there's something like... 1400 named characters over the course of the series there's wow. an absolute mm-hmm. ton cuz David Chase will just pull names from his childhood and like put them in That's so and cool. random and randomly mix them up mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it so who are your top 3 Chris um my top 3 sopranos characters <sighs> no, I number 3 I have to go with Paulie yeah and uh the reason why I think Paulie is such a fascinating character is that he, in my opinion, is the most successful amongst all of them at um, fitting the, this artificial mold of hyper-masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a guy who you see it, I think, more or less suppress it most successfully, successfully in that even when he panics and has a sort of existential crisis or he's um, or he gets paranoid or anything like that. He's he's really only living in his own reality. Mm-hmm. He has very little self awareness, and uh, you know he's hilarious to watch because he's so offensive and he's you know he's he's just a, a funny character. But I think that in Paulie we see someone who is the most far gone of someone who has has completely abandoned his humanity in service of uh something else in this case um, in this case the family so yeah i think i think that 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 polly is 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 going to be number three for me uh number two is christopher um because christopher is this absolutely tragic figure uh, you know these and these two these two they have a lot of time together they have a lot of rivalries and feuds and sometimes they're best friends sometimes they're worst enemies but uh, in Christopher we get someone who from the onset is is struggling constantly at trying to justify his basest instincts and desires money power you know this and that but at the same time you know desperately wanting to to live a fulfilling life, a happy, fulfilling life. And I think it's a big part of what the show is about. You know, how do we, you know, what makes life worth living, you know, because clearly all of these things that we, that we might think, you know, money, power, influence, sex, um, you know, you see guys like Tony Soprano get all those things or Johnny Sack or whoever else. And are they, they're, they're, they're the most miserable characters on earth. Christopher has the foresight, I think, to realize that. Uh, we see that a lot in the series. He asks Polly, "What if nothing good ever happens to me?" Polly says yeah. uh, of himself, "Yeah, nothing did. So what?" You know, <laughs> I, it, it, it's it's. I mean, it, it's heartbreaking. And you see, he 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 tries to accomplish this through all sorts of different means. You know, most notably in his his screenwriting ambitions. <laughs> you know, he tries to. He wants to be a writer. He wants to be a star, one way or the other. Um, he is constantly grasping at something that's going to make his make his life worthwhile because he knows that um, he's 
he's completely committed to to Tony, and that that isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, my number one favorite character is Rosalie April. Um, uh, Ro is um, so she is a relatively minor character. She's uh, Jackie April's widow. Jackie April is the boss that Tony replaces. He passes away in like the second episode. Um, he has um, he has cancer and he, he passes away. And uh, Rosalie, I, I guess there's some personal relationship to this because she reminds me a lot of my aunts from Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, but she, uh, you know, so she loses, she loses her husband and then she loses her son um, to, to this lifestyle. And she is, uh, there aren't a lot of, obviously there are not a lot of female characters in relatively in the Sopranos. Uh, but um, see, you know, watching, you, you know, through, through, through her scenes with Carmela, you know, adjust it, you know, trying to survive as a, you know, uh, someone who has suffered the worst of this world, yeah. um, by losing the, the, the people closest to you and, um, trying to, you know, have a sense of humor about it and a sense of optimism and try to, like, she says whatever the hell she wants. She's, you know, like, she doesn't, she doesn't care, but she, it's like she doesn't care, but she does. Like, you know, she, she's lost everything and, um, you know, is, is, and it's always in a, in a, I think in a positive way, trying to, uh, regain control of her of her life, and she's hilarious. And yeah, yeah, I love Rosalie. That's a good pick. <laughs> she's an entertaining character for sure. Just like forever smoking. <laughs> and, but yeah, when I talk about like the East Coast characters that I recognize from my own life, she is. That. Oh yeah, yeah. My mom has. My parents are from Brooklyn. My mom has four sisters. You know, it's, uh, that, <laughs> it's, it's I told you, Tom. I told you. you Good know, guess. I, they always, uh, you know, they call me Christopher. It's, you know, it's always with it's it's always with the kiss on the cheek and the. Oh my gosh! It's, I, I've got my suspicions now. You work for waste management. You have family from New York. Oh my gosh! Don't tell my dad that he already thinks he's in the mafia. <laughs> he's not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. does he love it when he gets like a bargain or something? Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah, thirty um, percent off. Yeah. Like, oh, there's a deal. There's a deal here. No, I, I got family that's Sicilian too. So believe me, we we go through it a little bit. <laughs> I got nothing. Nothing. No, no Italian. No. 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 no I'm Welsh. That's all right. You got Christian Bale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm always yelling at you when you're in my light. <laughs> what line. the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Sorry, you're an amateur man, an amateur. I saw the levels go bad when I did that. Yeah, I gotta cut that. Um, real quick before I say mine, um, mm-hmm. I mentioned this to you guys. Um, Jane, James Gandolfini. You, sh- you shall not pass the gabagool. Yeah. This is good. It's good, no? It's <laughs> all right. It's good, no? Have you yeah, guys no, seen the, just the video it. that's The Sopranos but just Gabagool? Yes. It's a, cut, it's a cut of every time someone says Gabagool in The Sopranos. <laughs> uh, my top three would go a little something like this. I would say honorable mention Uncle June. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just think he's hilarious. Just grumpy old man. But uh, I love Bobby, Bobby Bacala. Uh, 
He's kind of like Winnie the Pooh meets a gangster. <laughs> it's pretty mm. great. He's got this, like, I love a gangster with warmth. But then, yeah, they're all awful. And I just, I don't know. I just like, he's kind of like one of those MVPs of the show. Mm. Um, Christopher is my other choice. I wasn't going to pick same stuff. I was going to hear what you said, but I can't not. Because he's definitely heart. the character for yeah. me. I love him. Yeah. Uh, for all his faults. And then I got to add in, like, the the underdog here, which would be Artie Bucco. Uh, oh, we yeah. didn't talk much about him, but he owns, <laughs> he's like, it's like his, he's second or third generation of owning this restaurant. He's kind of, like, trapped by it, but he's got passion for cooking, you know, he's He's good at cooking, but he's in this world with all these gangsters around him who use him and like treat him like shit. And he's just kind of like, I'll do another like character comparison. He's like the Charlie Brown of uh, Sopranos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he gets the football and then he has to burn down his restaurant. <laughs> It's yeah. He just kind of seems like yeah, the aw shucks. That's guy. funny because I can't stand Artie. What? <laughs> oh man! Especially in the later seasons. Oh my gosh. I I like Artie. <laughs> I like Artie, but I wouldn't put him in the top three. I'm like, I'm going off a limited amount of time though right now. That's right. But um, but that's a fun pick, Fred. But we had a good recipe today. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, we made really some good. ZD. Great cook. Fred made ZD before yeah. the episode, and you guys, you should check out the Sopranos cookbook. I guess for mine, I'll throw out one honorable mention right away because we haven't talked about her at all. Is uh, Lorraine Bracco plays mm-hmm. Dr. Melvin? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's times where her performance, I think outside of the office specifically, gets a little wooden at times. She, she, yeah. I when I first was, started watching the show, I didn't like her. I mm-hmm. thought like it. She made me sort of uncomfortable, and I wasn't quite able to put a finger on why. Yeah, but. Yeah, just keep watching. It it all it all works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all works. It could just be trying to be like the the therapist character yeah. and like trying to have that balance of because she has like she has family. I I don't I, I'm sorry. It was only I've only watched the show twice, but I know she is Italian in the show and mm-hmm. has that loose connection. So she knows all of Tony's BS and like can kind of like relate in a little way because of like her you know being from that side but uh yeah i think it's trying to balance those two roles in the game might be a little tough yeah which it is but i think when they're in the office together it's just her and tony like like that character is such a person that has to be able to withstand one of the most intimidating people you'll ever meet right Mm -hmm. and she plays a stone sentinel so well that like even when he's getting threatening or wild or just overly emotional she never cracks she never like she kind of has that therapist demeanor of like interesting why are you thinking this way (laughs) and it's like at first pretty much exactly yeah and yeah and i'm like and i'm like what is she going for? And then it finally clicked with me. I think about halfway through the first season, like God, that's right. She's right. She's putting on a performance. Exactly. The character is. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think that that like when I said I didn't like it at first, I I I just I don't think I. It's because I didn't really understand it. I didn't really understand what was happening. But I completely agree. Yeah. Um. You know, she she is so committed to her work as a mental health professional that like, you know, this is 
this is how and this is how she does it and it's uh, it's brilliant yeah i yeah. think it's it's almost kind of a thing where it's like you wonder what the actor's going for at the time until you kind of get what they're trying to do and then you're like oh this is actually really good because yeah. it's like this person is scared shitless and she mm-hmm. and you she kind of has that like look of like fear a little bit behind her eyes but her face just never changes even as like erratic mm-hmm. as he gets mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a it's a fascinating yeah, performance. she's great love her yeah i would say though like my actual top three though i think number three i'm gonna go with uh silvio just because mm-hmm. he entertains the hell out of me <laughs> he's very entertaining just the constant head bobbing mm-hmm. that he's got going on mm-hmm. he is just going for oh. Wait till you see the guy who does him in many sayings. That is that is something to behold. It, yeah, uh, yeah. It got and <laughs> gosh, I go back and forth between whether or not I love or or think it was too much. Um, he got, he got, there's a lot of criticism about uh, Silvio's portrayal in Many Saints, but gosh, I don't know. I think maybe it works because the character, even in the show, is is you know is more or less a caricature. Yes, but um. You know, at the same time, a real person. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting. It's fun because he, as much as Paulie is like the like I think the perfect embolism of like what a mobster is. I feel like Silvio is somebody who actually is trying to embrace mm-hmm. that lifestyle and like live it every moment that he. He thinks he's can. in Goodfellas, and Paulie's a little more of the real life. And I just want to say real quick, what's nice about Paulie is he's probably like what it's actually like being a gangster at that age, where he He's still grinding, you right. know, but Silvio, yeah, he thinks he's in a movie and it's pretty yeah. great. <laughs> well, yeah. And also like, you know, Polly is soldado or something. He's like, and he's on the street. He's, he's doing, a, he's still doing a lot of the really hard work and in the show, Silvio is consigliere and he is more of an, you know, he does like an advisor. Yeah. So their roles are very different and it's it, you know even though I think they're around the same time, the same age, they've been around you know the same, the same time. Yeah. Seeing how that mm-hmm. plays out in their different roles, and their different ranks within the organization. Um, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. He, just I don't know. I mean, it's it's so hard to go against Polly Walnuts, <laughs> but I think he he might fall into another honorable mention just because I love a couple other performances just a little bit more. And I think Uncle Junior is one of those that I am like, when he's on screen, I'm paying attention. And it's just because he's just doing everything with a little subtlety. He almost is like, it's almost like what I felt like Hesh's character should have been like mm-hmm. all along, but Uncle Junior's doing it. And like he, and like that character is just always, like I said, he seems kind of like he comes off kind of like the goofy uncle. Like he's sort of warm, like, aha, guess what, Tony? Yeah, you know, I always love you, right? Like, but you can just kind of tell behind the scenes, he's always calculating mm-hmm. every moment. And he does such a great job <laughs> yeah. of portraying that. Uncle Junior's just never, he's never satisfied. He's always kind of sizing up the situation. Like, why, where can I get the best benefit? Yeah, it's very this. calculating. Doesn't have the build to be a football player. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 was, I can't believe I forgot to wear it. I have a shirt that says, never had the makings of a varsity athlete. <laughs> That's what it is. And, um, That's my favorite. I was going to wear it because, um, you know, I'm a Sopranos fan, and it's also <laughs> true of myself. I don't have make, never had the makings of a varsity athlete. Um, yeah, we haven't even talked. We haven't talked about Hesh. Um, who I think kind of falls into the Bobby Bacala category of someone who relatively seems like they have a big heart and that they're kind of an easygoing guy and are, you know, generally pleasant and nice, but, you know, who 
uh, in through different ways and different means, they have different roles. Is is still is a ruthless, you know, person. Um, he uh, hashed more with you know what he his uh, involvement in screwing people over in the music industry, right? Just like but, appropriating music, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then number one. I gotta go with Christopher. I, yeah. just, I, I mean, I would arguably put Christopher over Tony for me, to be honest. If I was even putting him in the rankings, because I think what he's doing just on a constant basis, like I think you, you went to great length to talk about it here too, Chris. Uh, Chris, talk about Christopher. <laughs> Christopher, yeah. You know, um, he's a very. He's a. I would agree. I think he's a more complex character than Tony because it's just he has such ambition, and you can just tell mm-hmm. it's kind of tearing him up to constantly think about where he's going what he's doing and he has that out at that one point too where he kind of seems like he's going to get in with like the hollywood execs and everything john you can favreau. <laughs> yeah john favreau literally yeah. it's probably why john favreau was in my head yeah. <laughs> but uh what a, what a fun sequence that whole up a couple episodes was i was like i i feel like in most series to follow a character like that and get off the main line would have pissed so many people off. Be like, why are we doing this? But I was like, I will take every moment with this oh, character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, they don't stop doing it. Wait until you get to Cleaver. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin took Ben Kingsley to acting school. Oh, <laughs> whatever. God. To talk about freaking, uh, what is the movie, Usual Suspects off of that. <laughs> but No, uh, we'll save that for our Singer cast, right? Yeah. Or our Ratner cast. Which one are we doing again? <gasps> or we're doing both. I don't want to. Do I, I am I totally. Never want to do we are not either. doing those. No, those are it's a little. One pisses me off. One is just a sick. No, they're <laughs> both sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not good. But I think what Christopher does, yeah, he really is sort of. I feel like kind of the heart and soul of what it. He's like embodying the Henry Hill energy for this whole show. Whereas, like, Tony's kind of there, right? He's kind of, like, on the precipice. So he's mm-hmm. kind of your Michael Corleone of sorts. And He's uh, he's the Niles to uh, Tony's <laughs> Frazier. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's it. Yeah, just very, very boyish energy. But it's just, it all works. Like, it just, he, oh, he never does it in an annoying way. He's, like, his earnest and his, like, want. And you just almost feel bad because it's, like, this is going to end in heartbreak. Just stop. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, but no, he's he's there and he's there all along and it's just never a dull moment I feel like when he's involved so it's it's yeah. great you get you your your ears lo- like perk up your eyes light up a little bit when you see him come on and you're like oh what's Christopher gonna do now <laughs> so uh it's uh it, it's good it's a great cast I mean the story settings I feel like we didn't get into a great amount of the story but I mean that's kind of part of the journey <laughs> is following these people so We'll save that for the listeners. Yeah, exactly. You can write into us at say the franchise podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Sopranos or any recent topics we've talked about. And uh, on that note, that brings us to the end of our episode here. But before we go, we're going to have our uh, plug segment. Christopher. Yay. You got anything you like to plug before uh, you go? Well, uh, I know that you guys mentioned it. You mentioned... Um, uh, last year when we, we met from afar doing um, the comedy of Dracula kind of sort of uh, with Schmitz and Giggles at uh, Next Act there is a spiritual follow up to that this summer called um, the comedy of King Lear kind of sort of it's a, um, a Shakespeare parody mm. and uh, haven't started rehearsals yet but we did a read through maybe a month ago and I was laughing out loud just during just during the read through it's a killer cast very very funny script by uh, Patrick Schmitz um, and I'm playing Edgar 
Um, so uh, that will be at um, Schmitz and Giggles at Next Act in August. I don't know the dates off the top of my head, but uh, super excited. Yeah, yeah follow up. Uh, what's the, Where does Schmitz put all his stuff? Does he have a... Schmitzandgiggles.org. There we go. That's Schmitz N as in name. <laughs> Giggles.org, that's all one word. And you know, that, that King Lear's some serious shit. You gotta speak in Ibamic dictameter when you do that. <laughs> How about you, Fred? Anything you would like to plug? Oh, you can check out the Interchange Theater. I'll be doing shows eventually. I'm still in the swing of getting back to full-time work, but uh, just check out the podcast. You know, as I say, just re-listen to episodes. You don't even have to do it. Like, just turn on, walk away. If you go to, like, your grandparents' house, download the episodes on their phone. Do what you got to do. Get it out there. Yeah. And that's uh, the interchangetheater.com is where you can find more details on those shows. I'll just plug the podcast. We are at State of the Franchise Podcast with Fred and Tom on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and then I mentioned our email, State of the Franchise Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love for you to, to like and subscribe to this podcast. If you want to leave a review, that will help us out tremendously. Uh, we also have our virtual tip jar. If you like to drop us a one-time tip, buymeacoffee.com slash S-O-T-F. And stay tuned for next episode where we'll be talking about the son of a son of a sailor himself. The man <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> Coconut Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coconut Pete. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, we're talking about Jimmy Buffett, so wow. tune in for that one. <laughs> yeah, kick off your shoes and have a good time. Yeah, that's right. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Chris, thank you so much for Thank you so much, guys, week. for having me on. This yeah. was super fun, and I mean, I am always happy to talk about The Sopranos with anyone at any time. So, yeah. Find you him after just, the King Lear yeah. show this summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll talk about the Sopranos. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, this, uh, this is, this is right, right in my wheelhouse. Just talking about the Sopranos. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, this yeah. is a great time. Thank you all for listening as well, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>